the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And a pleasant good afternoon to you. Welcome to this Tuesday. It is the 8th day of May. VE Day today, isn't it? That's right. The anniversary of the surrender of Nazi Germany during World War II. Although that will not be the topic, thank you, that will not be the topic of today's program, although some are wondering whether or not the next World War may break out as a result of some of the news in the headlines today. Later on in tonight's program, we'll talk about socialists who don't want to go to war and don't want others doing it either. Dr. Alex McFarland, religion and culture expert, will join us. There is some saber-rattling going on in New York over the ROTC. And when I tell you why, you're, you're going to flat out think it's ridiculous. I'll tell you why and what's going on a little bit later on. Also, a victory in a court case concerning Valley Baptist Church of San Rafael. We'll tell you why the impact of this decision, in fact, benefits even the church that you attend constitutional lawyer and the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus, joins us. All right, the big news of the day, President Trump ditching the Iran nuclear accord. At the White House earlier today, Trump cited definitive proof that Iran has not lived up to the terms of the deal. Let's see, when did I hear that? Oh, yes, I think I said that on this radio program, the date the deal was struck, but I uh, digress. The president said aggressive sanctions will soon be reimposed upon Iran. The multi-nation accord was signed back in 2015. Iran at the time agreed to curtail its nuclear weapons program in return for relief from international sanctums. The president today calling it a disastrous deal, saying the Iranian regime continues to be the world's leading state sponsor of terrorism. I am announcing today that the United States will withdraw from the Iran nuclear deal. When the United States had maximum leverage, this disastrous deal gave this regime of great terror many billions of dollars, a great embarrassment to me as a citizen. It is clear to me that we cannot prevent an Iranian nuclear bomb under the decaying and rotten structure of the current agreement. If the regime continues its nuclear aspirations, it will have bigger problems than it has ever had before. Harsh words to be sure. Two of the harshest words, perhaps, the decaying and rotten structure of the current nuclear deal. Claudia Rosette joins us now, Foreign Policy Fellow with the Independent Women's Forum, author of the Encounter Books Broadside, What to Do About the U.N. Claudia, great to have you back on the program. Uh, what do you think? When the president uses strong language like decaying and rotten, is he pretty largely accurate? Oh, yeah. He told the truth. Actually, that was right on target. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, this was a very good day for American foreign policy. 
This is a deal that many argued, as I suggested in my opening remarks, even at the time three years ago, was a bad deal that didn't have not only sufficient um, checks and balances to it, but quite frankly seemed to all be weighted heavily toward the benefit of Iran, releasing of all the frozen assets, you know, the, the jokes about billions of dollars on a pallet on an airplane being flown back into Tehran, things of this sort. Now here we are three years later, the president says, you know what, I'm not feeling it anymore. We need to really give a serious look at this, and in the meanwhile, we're going to reimpose the sanctions. Of course, this decision has not been met with some criticism, even by American allies. When you hear some of the tongue-clicking going on by Angela Merkel or French president, what do you make of that? Is that simply grandstanding, posturing, positioning? Well, um, no, because uh, there are European countries that are making money out of doing business with Iran. Ah. So uh, as long as we're kind of there to take care of any major problem that might arise, you know, the U.S. is the ultimate guardian of the peace. Um, they don't mind doing deals. They're, they can buy oil from the Iranians. They can do business. They can sell things there. So uh, I'm sorry to say, I think there's a real economic component to the European desire to keep this deal. And it's really rather unbecoming. Uh, there are bigger things at stake here. When you say they're making money out of this, one of the easing of sanctions that came along with the repatriation of all the money that was frozen, my goodness, clear back in 1979 during the hostage crisis, uh, included the ability to engage in business with Iran. Um, has there been no or has it been an ineffective attempt to try and uh, sort of police what's being bought, what's being sold, what's being traded? Uh, well, some, but nothing like... First, not nothing like what was being done when there were sang UN sanctions, when other countries were enforcing sanctions. You know, the U.S. still has sanctions on Iran, but the kind of international agreement that a lot of countries would enforce sanctions, that's gone. And uh, the, I can tell you from looking at, for instance, at Iranian merchant shipping in recent times, uh, they're all over the place. They're sailing up and down Africa. They're going back and forth to Latin America. They're calling in at Europe. And I would worry a lot about what is on those ships coming and going because the history has been that that's part of their nuclear proliferation and missile building traffic, uh, as well as legitimate business. So, you know, has there been enough policing? Well, so I guess one could say obviously not, because Iran has carried on testing missiles. Uh, they have carried on backing terrorist groups in the Middle East. Um, there are huge problems here, and they go way beyond Iran's nuclear program, although that still is a very large problem. When we heard a number of years ago then-President Bush make references to the now infamous uh, statement about the axis of evil that included both Iraq, Iran, yeah. and North Korea, and here we yeah. are uh, literally within uh, less than a month period of time, the president beginning to thaw relations with North Korea and presumptively, hopefully, address that problem, and then immediately pivoting, even, be even before a deal has been, quite frankly, inked, let alone uh, finalized, pivoting immediately to toward dealing with the Iran issue. What do you make of this in terms of U.S. foreign policy? How big of a win is this? Well, there's a fascinating puzzle here. There's obviously a lot of byplay going on. The administration inside in ways that it is not 
sharing with the public, and I'm okay with that right now. You know, they need to be able to strategize without putting every card face up on the table. Is clearly uh, trying to play them off each other. The announcement that the U.S. today, that the U.S. was withdrawing from the Iran nuclear deal, in the same speech, President Trump said that Secretary of State Pompeo was on his way to North Korea. So there's clearly sending a signal to North Korea that the U.S. is not going to be snookered again. Now, does that guarantee that they could get a deal or a, a good deal with North Korea? I'm very skeptical that there's any such thing in this world as a good deal with North Korea, because they will cheat, and they're a totalitarian state where it's very hard. There's really no way to completely verify and inspect. But there is clearly a strategy at work here, and we have people such as Ambassador John Bolton, who I think is just one of the country's first-rate minds on foreign policy and strategy and disarmament who's now National Security Advisor. We have Mike Pompeo, who's now Secretary of State. Uh, he's been excellent on trying to, how we need to try and corral the Iranians. He was one of the people who, when he was in Congress, was trying to get to the bottom of that cash shipment you mentioned, which the President Obama's gift to the Iranians. That wasn't actually officially part of the Iran nuclear deal. It was sort of like the free cherry on top. You know, it's a big cherry. gave them... Yeah, it was a big cherry. It was $1.7 billion, and $1.3 billion of that was your tax money. It was simply they found a legal workaround where they never, they never asked Congress for the funds. They simply sent it from Treasury, and it materialized as cash in Europe shipped to the Iranians, which I think was just appalling. It's not only the cash that's a problem, and that's a big problem, but because... Why did the Iranians want it in cash? It's hard to trace. That's how you fund terrorism and dirty deals. But also because that sends a message again to the world that Americans are chumps, fools, can be played. And that's a very dangerous message. That's what President Trump is in the process of reversing right now. Question for you in relationship to uh, comments made, Claudia, by some of the president's detractors who have yeah. in large part characterized today's announcement as the uh, queuing up of the balls, so to speak, for a potential world war. And while I think personally that's a great exaggeration, I have to wonder, um, given the player that Iran has been historically in world terrorism, if you are Benjamin Netanyahu sitting in your office in Jerusalem tonight, what are you thinking? Are you feeling better now? Are you feeling safer? Yes, you're feeling safer. And the reason is that while the immediate problem is, oh, goodness, how are we going to stop Iran from immediately starting to enrich more uranium and build nuclear weapons? The problem is that Iran had a way to do that under this deal. We, this deal was giving them help with nuclear technology, was giving them access in all sorts of ways to procure things they wanted, was not actually confirming that they had given up the deal. The inspections were grossly inadequate. The promises meant nothing. You know, the, the exposure of how Iran lied and got away with it that, Net, that uh, Netanyahu put forward last week was very important. And... The problem is, if you only look ahead for a month, okay, this is alarming. You know, what now? If you look out more than a year or two, this says we now have a chance to avert what was potentially a really terrible conflagration ahead. 
I mean, to put this a little more in perspective or make it more clear, go back to the 1930s. At what point would it have been a good idea to just say, it's risky to stop Hitler, but it's a lot riskier if we don't. And that's sort of what's going on now. It's We're now dealing with the real problem. How do we stop Iran? This deal was a fake. It was papering over a problem that had not been solved and which was going to get much, much worse. So we now have a chance of actually addressing it. And I think in the process, they're also trying, this administration is also trying to address the problem of North Korea, which President Obama simply ignored as they tested, you know, what was it, four nuclear weapons during his tenure. Uh, and got to the point where they were ready to successfully test intercontinental ballistic missiles that could target the United States. So this is sort of putting things back on a course where we're actually dealing with the realities instead of playing pretend, which in the nuclear game with terror-sponsoring states is a very dangerous approach. And when Uh, Barack Obama says that the action was misguided, is that based on concern about weakening relations with Iran or more upset that another brick out of his legacy wall has been removed? I have no idea what his motivation is, but it sounds to me really sort of peevish. And, uh, you know, I think it would behoove him to just stop talking about it. Uh, He saddled this country was a terrible deal. He, he declined to submit it as a treaty to the Senate, which he should have done. Um, and he did a, basically flipped it by the, the, the way that this whole thing was put through on, during his presidency was horrifying. Uh, the deal was reached in Europe, and within the week, um, the Obama administration took it to the United Nations and had it enshrined under U.N. Resolution, Security Council Resolution 2231, before Congress even had the promised chance to debate it. They never got to, the Senate never got to vote on it. Well, we certainly um, understand it, uh, the reasoning behind that. At the end of the day, I think it was not submitted uh, for review by the Senate or by uh, Congress as a treaty, because had, had it been, it had a snowman's chance in ever surviving. Yeah, well, that's why I think, Perhaps it's time that President Obama and his former Secretary of State, John Kerry, just left this alone. They did have their chance, and what they produced was a horrifically bad deal. And it is a very good day for America that we're pulling out of that. Now we have a chance to actually solve this continuing and very dangerous problem. Claudia Brissett, thank you so much for the time. Claudia, by the way, is, as we mentioned, the Foreign Policy Fellow with the Independent Women's Forum. She's also an award-winning journalist. She's reported over the past three decades from Asia, the former Soviet Union, Latin America, and the Middle East. She is widely credited with groundbreaking reporting at the United Nations and its dealings overseas. Our thanks to Claudia Rossett for being with us. Information, by the way, about her hard work online at IWF. Dot O-R-G. Always great to talk with her. All right, 520. We're going to get caught up on some traffic here, are we? A little, little late, are you? I'm late. You're late. We're all late here. Let's find out why. With an answer and an eye to the road ahead, Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. So here's a riddle for you. When is a tax not a tax? Well, if you're one Bay Area city, it's when you don't call it a tax. Just call it something different. Even though we all understand it's really a tax, change the name and, well, 
Apparently, you can get away with anything. Just about. Let's get a look at this story. We're joined by constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Attorney Brad Dacus. Counselor, as always, great to have you with us. Tell us a bit here about um, the recent tale of Valley Baptist Church, which if folks here recognize the name, uh, they are located in San Rafael. And they had a bit of a challenge there with the city fathers who apparently came up with a creative way, at least they thought, to avoid responsibility under the California Constitution as it relates to religious buildings. Oh, they certainly did. Um you know, right now, California law uh, and the state constitution spell out very clearly, Craig, that uh, churches cannot be uh, levied property taxes against them, and any property tax has to be based upon appraised value of the property. Well, they tried to get around this by coming up with a new uh, fee uh, tax where they're saying, look, we're going we're gonna to base this tax on the square footage of your dwelling. And uh, and so therefore it's not a uh, we're, we're not they think it's exempt will be exempt because it's really not a property tax we're we're taxing based on the square footage of of the dwelling and that includes churches and ministries um, it's still a tax based on property uh, and we at Pacific Justice Institute went ahead and filed a lawsuit on behalf of this church that is uh, under attack serious attack um, and had to fork up. Uh, a chunk of money in order just to keep their doors open uh, to avoid uh, losing their their building because of the tax. Yeah, this would almost seem to be to even the novice or casual observer to be a bit of a dog and pony show. I mean, uh, you say potato, I say potato. It's all still the same thing. Whether you're talking about property tax as it relates to the value of the land and its improvements, meaning the buildings thereon, or based on the square footage, which kind of goes to the heart to the value, because clearly the greater the square footage, the greater the value. I mean, at the end of the day, isn't this sort of a political sleight of hand all simply engineered to try and get around the requirements of the California Constitution on this matter? Uh, Definitely. (laughs) That's exactly very well said, and that's what we've articulated very clearly in our briefing uh, regarding the matter. The uh, And the, the good news, Craig, is, uh, you know, we had the, the first round, and uh, and uh, we have, we won the first round. Now, it's still going, it's still moving along, and litigation is never quick and easy. Uh, but for the court to, to, to find that, in fact, uh, we have a, a justifiable legal basis uh, and legal arguments to contest this, uh, is a is a major win in this uh, litigation fight, uh, which uh, means we have a judge whose who's eyes and ears are open to really looking critically at this city ordinance, and uh, that's that's good news for the churches in that community. Now, the ordinance, as I understand it, comes back to helping to fund what is it, uh, paramedics? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, they've they've got some kind of um, purpose for it, but the purpose in no way takes it out from. The, uh, the, the state law and state constitution with regards to property taxes. Well, and you'd also have to wonder, based on the square footage at 14 cents a square foot, so what happens if a church who may have tens of thousands of square feet as compared to, you know, maybe the average household residence of, I don't know, 1,500, 2,000 square feet, do you get tens, 10 times as many paramedics or firefighters show up to the church than would show up to the house for the same 911 call? I mean, that's odd. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is, and uh, uh, you know they're they're trying to come up with money, trying to you know 
to uh, raise uh, taxes, revenue taxes, but uh, tax revenue. But it's uh, they've got to do it within the law, and this is clearly, as far as we're concerned, outside the law. And people don't understand how serious this is because if Senator Bell gets away with this, Craig, uh, make no mistake, we will have cities and towns and across the state as well as in other states uh, attempting the same uh, the same thing, trying to find ways of taxing churches. And those cities that will be taxing churches the most will be in those cities oftentimes where churches will not be able to afford the tax, um, particularly when they're churches in inner cities and places that are uh, often not the friendliest to churches in the well, beginning. Well, and, and, Counselor, even if the church could easily afford the tax, and I know a few that have big enough congregations that easily could, that's not the point. The point is that it is a blatant attempt to try and pull an end run around the United... I'm sorry, around the California Constitution, and I can bet you... Uh, there are probably uh, members of city councils all across this state that are already sitting down taking notes about what the language would look like in their bill were San right. Rafael to get away from with this. Right, yeah. So the, so we're looking at a real large hit on a lot of churches. Some might, you know, could afford it possibly. Some couldn't. But you're right. It goes back to the, the fact that it's still just talk. We're talking about cities trying to get around uh, the state law and state constitution and uh, in a way that is going to directly hurt religious institutions. Um, one little principle I like to remind people of, and that is uh, that uh, regarding the state taxing churches, before a nation was even a nation, uh, churches were not paying property tax. And the reason was simple. Whatever the government could tax, the government can control. And we want churches, religious institutions, to be uh, separate from the arm-twisting of, uh, and burdens of, of government, which may be friendly or may be hostile to religious institutions like churches. So this is very, this goes way back. There's, there are deep principles of justice and freedom uh, tied into this, this, this uh, history, and it's something we should not forget or take lightly. Uh, no wonder they pushed for the in- personal income tax back in 1913. Whatever they tax, they can control. Brilliant observation. Well, we appreciate the insights on this. And uh, if there's any development, uh, good or bad, on this story, Brad, will you promise to keep us posted? Oh, I definitely will. If there's any churches uh, listening to this uh, that have similar situations, contact us at Pacific Justice. We'd love to help them without charge like everyone else. I like that. Did he say that right? He's an attorney who said we don't charge. Take your temperature real quick, Brad. Are you feeling okay? <laughs> I say that tongue-in-cheek. Of course they don't. All the work done by the Pacific Justice Institute is pro bono. That's why, by the way, they need your support. If you're thinking about maybe doing some planned giving with your estate and would like to support an organization that supports uh, churches and people of faith across the western states, then be sure to keep Pacific Justice Institute in mind. Information on the web at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. I like to tease him because we've known each other for so long. (laughs) An attorney who said I'll work for free. (laughs) There's Brad Dacus. (laughs) Oh, dear. All right. Time for me to get out of here. Actually, I'm not going anywhere, but I'm going to head it over to Michael Bennett before I dig in an even deeper ditch for myself. Maybe you're stuck in one. If you are, somebody else is, and it's affecting traffic. Let's find out why. Michael, in the KFAX Traffic Center, what's going on? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The Boyer part, which of course was very thrilling and a bit of good news for me. Wonderful. So I don't know what my career... From the Mutual Newsroom in New York, 
A bulletin from London, a French communique broadcast by the Paris radio, said today that a truce has been concluded in the battle for the French Atlantic port of La Rochelle and that the Germans have returned 175 French prisoners. And, of course, uh, you heard the earlier bulletin. The BBC recorded at 8.09 a.m. Eastern Wartime a Radio Flensburg German broadcast quoting the German foreign minister as announcing that the German high command accepts unconditional surrender. The Flensburg radio on the uh, German-Danish border said the German surrender decision was reported by Count Ludwig Schwern von Krosik, German foreign minister appointed only last week. More news as fast as it is received. Now back to the program in progress. And the program, of course, in progress is this Tuesday edition of Lifeline. A little snippet of history there. Today marks the 73rd anniversary of victory in Europe, the German surrender and the end of World War II in Europe. I, I mentioned the historic nature of this event because it goes right to the heart of our next story. Um, when we were attacked by Japan, when Germany declared war on us subsequent to that during the 1940s, everybody looked to the United States military for redress. When we suffered the terrible attack on the Twin Towers, September of 19, I'm sorry, of 2001, we all looked to the military for redress. The military, in fact, has long been here to protect America and to keep us free and strong. Ironically enough, though, there are some socialists that will have nothing of this nonsense. Let's find out why. We're joined next by Dr. Alex McFarland. He is a religion and culture expert, director of Christian Worldview and Apologetics at the Christian Worldview Center of North Greenville University. Dr. McFarland, as always, a pleasure to have you join us. Well, it's great to be back with you, Craig. Thank you for having me. And irony in terms of the timing here that uh, while we're marking the 73rd anniversary of VE Day, here come a group of, quote, Young Democratic Socialists of America. In fact, that is the uh, the title of their outfit um, associated with City College of New York that is working hard to kick the ROTC, the Reserve Officers Training Corps, off campus. Now, I'm sorry, based on the long history that the American military has of making sure that I can go to the church that I wish to go to church to, speak my mind, read a free press, engage in, in, in affiliating with the, any person of my choice, I thought that we would celebrate the opportunity for young men and women looking for a career track in the military to be able to uh, come up through the ranks as a officer and receive all the benefits available to them. But in the minds of socialists, apparently at City College in New York, they'll have nothing of that. What's going on? Well, what's going on is treason. Uh, you know, when we, we uh, inaugurate a president or when we uh, enlist, people in the branches of the service, and by the way, for all the veterans listening, uh, we commend you, we thank God for you, and I love the t-shirts I'm seeing nowadays, uh, home of the free because of the brave, you know, we've always said, you know, land of the free, home of the brave, we're, we're the land of the free because of the brave uh, men and women that have put their, their themselves in harm's way to guard our freedom, but, you know, let me say, the left, uh, and much of secular education that is so against defense spending, so against a strong national defense, so uh, quick to denigrate armed forces and veterans, 
Uh, it's treasonous. I mean, it really is, because what they're doing, they're undermining the health, security, and preservation of the U.S. Constitution, which pledges to guard their God-given freedoms. And, and really, without, without the, the moral conviction to defend our freedoms, uh, we, we are headed for some dark days. And so it really is treasonous the way that uh, the left has programmed young people to so uh, disparage uh, a national defense. And, you know, um, I wrote this piece about the Democratic Socialists at the City College in New York. Uh, they're, they're traitors. I mean, they, they're traitors because, Craig, as you probably know this, okay, the ROTC uh, supplies, and this, this, these stats are several years old, but nearly 40% of uh, the, the recruits to the Army, uh, 16% of recruits to the Navy, uh, I mean, and on and on we could go. The ROTC is a wonderful program that's a great, um, great benefit to our nation with a long and rich history. And these young Democrat socialists, that they don't know what they're doing, and they really don't know how they're ultimately harming the country. Well, they're undermining national security for one thing. I mean, to begin with, uh, doesn't it make sense for the ROTC to recruit on college campuses where you're reaching out to bright minds, uh, young people that are full of vim and vinegar and and looking to begin a career path? I mean, what would you rather have them do, set up a post underneath a a freeway overpass or something and, you know, try to recruit uh, drug addicts? I mean, it's it's nonsensical at multiple levels. It's also extremely disingenuous. Uh, you, You quote one of their slogans that they are trying to, and I'm quoting here, prevent students from going to die at war while the wealthy sit at home, close quote. Well, to begin with, I don't think we have any conscription. It's a completely voluntary military. I would imagine probably along day one or two when you show up uh, to basic training camp and they put a rifle in your hand and you see all the tanks in the background that most students have a pretty good idea of what's going on here and what the potential dangers are. Who is it for this group of socialists who wish to not give to America but simply take from America to suggest somehow that their fellow students that might choose a career path in the military somehow don't have the capacity to make up their own minds? Yeah, exactly. That quote you mentioned that I pulled from the Washington Examiner, it's a false dichotomy for one thing. It's a fallacy that students would be against their will sent off the to die at war while the wealthy sit at home. Well, you know, these uh, generally upper-middle-class and, and upper-scale socialists that, you know, denigrate freedom, free enterprise, capitalism, strong national defense, and, yes, religion and Christianity and morality, all of the things that, that you know, from their ivory tower they, they dismiss and denigrate, they're the ones that, as you said, they enjoy the benefits of America, but they're not willing to invest and defend it. Benjamin Franklin said this, Every, everybody loves the fruits of freedom, but few are willing to tend the tree that bears the fruits. Well, and, and there's also a, a shortcoming here that they don't understand much about 
U.S. history to begin with. If you look back over the 20th century, um, let's take, for example, Roosevelt. Well, there was certainly somebody who was very wealthy, came from a long, rich heritage of a wealthy family, both he and his uh, older cousin, Teddy, who was a president before uh, Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, He had all of his sons, I think there were five all told, all of his sons served in World War II in the United States military. Certainly, we could argue that Jack Kennedy, who was wounded during the war, the Kennedys are a very wealthy family, and the Kennedy brothers also served um, the, in the United States military. In fact, if I have to think about the one president who has strong socialist leanings that had no military service, well, why talk about Bill Clinton at this juncture? At any rate, my point being that to suggest that somehow only poor people are led astray into the military and die on behalf of the wealthy is just absolutely fool's folly. Well, you know, Clinton and Obama, neither one, served in the armed forces. And, you know, the, these these upper echelon socialists, um, highbrow, that is, in their own mind, they, they think that somehow military service is beneath them, uh, that uh, they won't sully themselves with the dirty business of fighting for this terrible, awful America. And, of course, I'm being facetious. Look, I, I've traveled the world. I've been to so much of the world. And my wife is a nurse, and, and we've been to developing nations, third world countries, where parents will literally grab you by the arms and plead with you to take their children to America. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. America is beloved and the awe and the envy of so much of the world, except on American campuses. And, you know, I've said this, and I'm not a pessimist, uh, Craig. I, you know, I'm a happy camper, and I, I know that God is in control, and... You know, the fact that Hillary was defeated in the 16 election, I think, was a miracle that shows God is not done with this country, and God, in his mercy, uh, in God's providence and grace, allowed the Clinton crime cartel to, for once in the public eye, have a, have a comeuppance and be defeated. Uh, but let me say this to everyone listening who loves God and country, um, this, this, reprieve we've gotten for just a moment to, you know, hang on to the House and to have some constitutionalists in Washington. We're going to have to pray. We're going to have to vote. We're going to have to get out of our comfort zone. We're going to have to talk to our neighbors, because I assure you, the social progressives and the left are not done in their attempt to turn this into uh, basically a communist country. And, and the fact that Bernie Sanders, an atheist, avowed socialist, the fact that he got as far as he did and is so popular among young people, even professed Christian young people, uh, some are enamored with Bernie Sanders, who's a pro-choice, you know, pro, uh, pro-abortion um, candidate. Um, it, it really is scary. Um, now, a lot of Christians will say, uh, well, my home is in heaven, you know, this world is not my home. But listen, uh, we have been so blessed to live in a, a free, prosperous America where we can contribute to Christ's Great Commission. And I, I do believe, Craig, that America has become what she is because, you know, we've been blessed so that we can serve Christ and, and contribute amply to the Great Commission. All of these things that we've enjoyed for more than 240 years 
I mean, we stand to lose it all if we don't pray and lovingly but firmly stand against social progressivism, call it what you want, but um, th- this country that's the on envy of the rest of the world, uh, we here in America, we don't appreciate it like we ought to. You're absolutely right. And and the other point here, and I'm glad you bring up Bernie Sanders, who, by the way, in addition to being a card-carrying, um, very unabashed socialist, uh, was also apparently a very unabashed draft dodger. He applied for conscientious objector status during the Vietnam War because he chose not to serve his country. Now, during times of non-conscription, in other words, when it is strictly a military uh, that is filled with volunteers, why would you ever be here criticizing the individuals who wish to serve their country? If it's a time of conscription and we're engaged in a questionable war, then to raise questions about that war is very valid and very American. But to somehow be taking aim at those who wish to join the Reserve Officers Training Corps voluntarily, take advantage of the opportunity to go through the ranks in the military as an officer voluntarily, take advantage of many of the benefits, including largely a free higher education, voluntarily. Why do you have a problem with that? I think this gets down to, and you've hinted at this, Dr. McFarland, it gets down to a group of people that are uniquely from the it's all about me generation that see the country not as a nation that we should serve for the benefit of all of us, but rather as sort of a a daddy war bucks bottomless money pit that the notion to which service of country is extremely alien, but taking from country, oh, that they excel at. Sure, it's the entitlement mentality. And the young socialist Democrats uh, that oppose the ROTC, uh, they have no moral convictions, so they're they're offended by those who do. I mean, and I see this when I do Q&A and debates. We we do our Truth for a New Generation tour all around the country. By the way, we're going to be in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, September 13, 14, and 15, and Baton Rouge, Louisiana, October 26, 27. I would love to come to your your part of the country and bring great speakers like Josh McDowell and others. But, But I want to say this. I am unabashedly patriotic. Part of the reason, I mean, I came from, my dad was a World War II vet, a decorated vet who was uh, uh, wounded, and it was drilled into me to thank God for this country. But, Craig, as I said, I I mean, I've traveled to so much of the world, and you don't have to go far to see how blessed we are here in America. It's interesting, about a month ago in Finland, where they had a guaranteed wage per month for every person, $868 a month. The president of Finland said, we're going to end this because uh, we thought this would sustain people while they're out looking for a job, but people just sit home and play video games. Because, see, what a representative democracy that we have, representative republic based on a moral foundation, uh, it's been this beautiful yet fragile arrangement. Um, it, it is a representative republic, but yet it was based on a moral code. And what's so dangerous about millennials and younger is they've not been taught that moral code. And plus, they don't know where wealth comes from. 
uh, it doesn't come out of thin air. I mean, people have to work, people have to create something. Um, and I would say this, that just as European countries are realizing if the government dole promises them a monthly wage, they get lazy and they sit home, um, that very same week that Finland and several other European countries said, no more free money. San Francisco says, no, we, we've got to give a monthly wage to everybody just for drawing breath. And then, then you've got um, the, the guy that's one of Bernie Sanders' protégés, Ben Jealous, who wants free college tuition to everybody in Maryland. Um, the socialists, well, Margaret Thatcher said it best, socialism is fine until you run out of other people's money. Um, America needs to return to the, the moral capitalism where people, if you want to work, I mean, if you want to eat, you got to work. If you want a car, earn the money and buy it. If you want to prosper, work hard, live morally, uh, engage in self-restraint, save your money, and understand what it's like to live as a person of conviction and character. Um, and so hopefully you and I will live long enough to see this entitlement mentality uh, weaned away as we understand once again what our founders and parents knew. Uh, you've got to work hard if you want things in life. The government is not the nanny to hand it to you. You're absolutely right, and I find it fascinating, too, that the very same people that will try to pronounce that, oh, it's the rich people in this country that don't pay their fair share of taxes, and the one percenters are taking advantage of this nation all the time, and it's we, the middle class, that carries the bulk of the burden in terms of the taxes that um, help provide the resources to make the machine called America run. Well, if they are really believers in that often quoted position, then aren't they essentially admitting as they want free handouts, free money, free jobs? No, they don't want the jobs, in fact. They just want the money that comes. They want the paycheck but not the job. That if all that are paying into the tax system for the most part are middle-class Americans, and aren't what they're really doing here is taking major advantage of their fellow middle-class Americans? I mean, it, it becomes so disingenuous to their stated cause that before you know it, you find out that it's extremely hollow. And, you know, with that sort of pacifist approach to all of this, um, I would suggest this. If you don't believe in the United States military, if you don't wish to serve in an all-volunteer army, if you don't want to go to war and die, then let me give you one piece of advice. Don't join the military. And as for the rest of us, leave these people alone. Is there a way, in your opinion, and Dr. McFarland, I know that you travel all over the country. You have literally spoken in hundreds of college campus and universities in your career as an apologist. Is there anything that we can do as the parents who are the taxpayers who help provide these institutes of higher living? Is there anything that we can do to help inoculate kids from being exposed to all of this nonsense? Well, for one thing, we have to stop giving our children everything they want. Just because you flip the calendar and a kid turns 16, don't give them a car. Let them earn uh, uh, wheels and transportation. 
don't just give them a college education. Help kids understand the gratification and, and the satisfaction and the joy of having to sacrifice and earn something. I know you've heard of Edmund Burke, who was, uh, uh, he was originally from Ireland, but he was, uh, you know, a statesman in colonial America. But he said, that which we obtain too easily, we esteem too lightly. In other words, if everything's given to us, we don't appreciate it. And, you know, Alexander Hamilton in the Federalist Papers understood if men were angels, government would not be necessary. But part of the genius of the Founding Fathers is they recognized a sin nature. We're selfish, we're narcissistic, we tend to be lazy, and if, if we know things are guaranteed to be given to us, we're not going to really work. Uh, and so, moms and dads, let me say, one of, the, one of the worst forms of abuse is to give your child everything they want. I mean, that's not really love. Um, being a wise parent and, and creating a context in which your kids will have to understand deferred gratification, sacrifice, work, um, character, those things. The, the greatest love you can do for your kids, or the greatest love you can show, obviously tell them about Christ and salvation, but then enable them to build character, to know they're not special, they're not unique, they're not do something just because they're alive. They are valuable in the eyes of God, they are loved, that worth and value and dignity, but we've, Craig, we've created entitled, narcissistic little monsters that think the world owes them something, when really we owe our Creator uh, loyalty and character for having given us this gift of life. We've got things so out of phase, but you're doing a great job telling the truth, and we're doing our part out on the road in our events, and there is hope for America, friends. Do not despair. We appreciate the comments and uh, the insights. There is Dr. Alex McFarland religion and culture expert, director of the Christian Worldview and Apologetics at Christian Worldview Center, located at North Greenville University. More information, by the way, on the web about Dr. Alex McFarland. Simply go to alexmcfarland.com. That's alexmcfarland.com. Got some late-breaking news into the KFAX newsroom, and this may be covered in the news coming your way at 6 o'clock. We're just getting word that former California Governor George Duke Majin has passed away. The former governor, whose anti-spending credo earned him the nickname the Iron Duke during the 1980s, died today from natural causes. He was 89 years old. He spent more than three decades as a California politician and assembly member, Senate, Senator rather, State Attorney General, and then later Governor. He was elected as the state's 35th governor in 1982. Governor George Duke Majin, dead today at the age of 89. It's 6 o'clock from KFAX. Get a look at traffic for you right now ahead of some headline news. The latest with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.